Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of Mohican people, known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community. I'm Sina Bazilahicki. And I'm Kalen McPherson. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we first hear from Mark Dunley as he interviews Tracy Fish of the Clean Air Action Network of Glens Falls on why many residents of the town of Monroe are opposed to propose, opposed to a proposed biochar facility. Then the Center of Law and Justice details their film series on black history. Later on, we listen to the fabulous Barrio Alegria, a nonprofit from Reading, Pennsylvania, which focuses on creative placemaking. After that, we are joined by Brad Monkel for our daily dose of laughs. And finally, we hear from Tom Francis for our weekly poetry bucket. But first, here are the headlines. Top New York Republicans are calling on state lawmakers to keep the current congressional maps till 2030. These maps were redrawn by a court two years ago and enabled Republicans to win 11 of New York's 26 congressional seats, which allowed for GOP control of the House. The New York State Court of Appeals recently ruled that the uh, Independent Commission that was set up by the state constitution to redraw these lines could redraw them again this year, with the state legislature having final approval. Republicans warned that the slow action by the commission raises the question as to whether new lines would be available prior to petitioning, which begins on February 27th. Record reports that the history of the Collar City is getting a fresh look as part of Choice Story, a podcast for the Collar City, which is an independent podcast that launched on January 23rd of this year. This show was produced and hosted by John Silka, the former communications director of the city of Troy. Each episode will be presented as a chapter that will spotlight a person, period, or a topic from Troy's more than two-century-old history. The podcast is available at troystorypod.com slash listen. The New York Public Interest Research Group reports on Small Claims Court that surveyed a dozen of litigants in 2021 found that while nearly 80% of claims stated that they had won their cases, almost 75% of the case winners failed to collect a cent of their judgments. Nyberg found that the situation on collecting judgments had gotten worse from the first survey they did, which was more than four decades ago. Litigants complained that the instructions to collect on their judgments were difficult and that public officials were unhelpful in explaining the process. Small claims courts cases include tenant-landlord disputes, homeowners-contractor issues, wage theft, property damages, and consumers who contend they fell prey to shady business practices. Several Democrats, including civil rights activist Aaron Marr, are questioning the speed which with Assemblywoman Patrick Fahey has declared the Albany County Democratic Party favorite as successor to state Senator Neil Breslin. The Democrat Party immediately announced their presence after Breslin's decision to retire. Breslin's former district is also represented by the Schenectady and Montgomery County Democratic Parties. Petitioning for a possible primary would begin on February 27th. On Monday, a state Supreme Court justice in Albany dismissed a Republican challenge to a New York state law allowing registered voters to cast their ballots by mail ahead of the election day. 
Republicans are expected to appeal the dismissal, noting that voters two years ago rejected a referendum that would have allowed for unlimited absentee ballot voting. The Gazette reports applications are now open for the Schenectady County Legislator Arts and Culture Grant Program. Applicants now can apply for up to two projects, which consist of either a single event or a series of events. Artists and groups without nonprofit status can also partner with a qualifying agency. And that's it for the headlines. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community and Troy through broad grassroots participation within Troy and the greater capital region. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how, to learn more on how you can, can become an HMM producer, go to mediasanctuary.org slash HMM. Email us at HMM at mediasanctuary.org. Or give us a ring at 518-272-2390. Now we listen in as Mark Dunley interviews Tracy Frisch of the Clean Air Action Network on why residents of the town of Moreau are opposing a proposed biochar facility. We're talking with uh, Tracy Frisch of the Clean Air Action uh, Network of uh, Glen Falls and this week, there's a bunch of hearings, uh, informational meetings taking place about the Saratoga biochar proposal uh, up in the town of Moreau in, in, in Saratoga County. So, Tracy, why don't we just start? You know, what you know, what is your group? What are your concerns about this particular biochar facility? I mean, some people hear biochar and go, "Oh, that's that's good. That helps the soil." Well, um, it's very controversial whether industrial biochar, especially made from sewage sludge, would help the soil. In fact, the European Union has banned sewage sludge biochar. Um, this is the first such plant. This would be the first such plant in the state of New York. And in fact, one of our experts who has been um, analyzing the draft permits from the New York State DEC has only found one such plant in operation in the entire country. There may be more, but we have not found them. We have found two pyroly sewage sludge pyrolysis plants built but not in operation. Very interesting. Um, pyrolysis is the process by which ma materials would, would are burned in the absence of oxygen to make charcoal, which is also called biochar. Um, the re okay, so the reason we don't like this this proposal is number one, up to fifteen percent of the state's sewage sludge would be trucked to the little town of Moreau in the Upper Hudson Valley on the Hudson River, already a heavily impacted area. Two disadvantaged communities, according to the DEC, are across the river, including Hudson Falls, where DEC dumped all those PCBs into the Hudson River. So why why should Moreau take all this sewage sludge and have it burned in the, in people's backyards? Um, number two, there would be uh, PFAS forever chemicals emissions. PFAS um, would be deposited in on the ground and on the river and on the Fort Edward Reservoir. It leaches into groundwater at extremely low levels, it's hazardous to human health, causes cancer, and a host of other 
um, serious health problems. Yeah, uh, and, and speaking of PFAS, I do believe that uh, the federal EPA recently came out and said it's really time to move towards, you know, just banning these type of chemicals. But this hearing, so there's a hearing virtually on 6 o'clock on Wednesday, uh, Thursday at 6 at the South Glen Falls Senior uh, High School. And now this is being conducted by the State Department of Environmental Conservation, so I assume there's a state permit involved. You know, do you, what type yeah. of confidence level do we have at the state? Oh, the state's going to get involved. They're going to look at this a lot more closely than, say, the local government. Well, one interesting fact, they um, repeatedly found, uh, sent out notices of incomplete application to the company and the company's engineering consultant. Um, one of those, in one one of these um, requests for more information, DEC asked for a list of wastewater treatment plants that they would get the sewage sludge from and analytic data, how much heavy metals are found in, in the sewage sludge from a particular plant, how much PFAS chemicals are found at a particular plant. Saratoga Biochar did not respond to this request. They presented some kind of excuse. DEC issued draft permits in any case and declared that the permit application was complete. Doesn't feel very complete to me. How can you determine what's going to be coming out the stacks and what's going to be going in the wastewater if you don't know what, what's going to be burned? Yeah, and I remember 30 years ago being involved in helping to stop, uh, actually as a town board member in my hometown of Postonkill, a mixed waste composting facility uh, out in eastern, eastern Rensselaer County. And one of the many complaints that I had was that they were actually going to use uh, the sewer sludge from Hoosick Falls in another town. And I was like, wait a moment, what, what type of level of, of heavy metals? And of course, we saw PFAS became a big issue. What type of sense do you have that this, the town or the state is really, you know, taking the potential toxic impact uh, seriously at this point? We don't have any confidence that the state is taking the toxic impact seriously. However, um, the previous town supervisor in the town of Moreau um, was, was a proponent of this plant and he was thrown out of office in a three-to-one landslide. Um, the the sewage sludge biochar plant was one of the two top issues. Um, the the people of Moreau are furious, outraged about this plant. They will not let it go through. Um, there are actually three paths by which we believe we can stop um, this project. One is DEC. So it's very important that people not only people in the immediate area, but people who have become alarmed about um, the presence of PFAS forever chemicals all over the planet. And this will be a new source. The, the state says they could emit seven pounds in the air per year, but they will only have air testing once every five years. And doesn't give us confidence. Um, Another path is the town. They have they are in the pro they took the first steps to declaring to declaring a moratorium of development in the industrial park where this plant would be built. And that's because there's been no um there's inconsistencies between the comprehensive plan and zoning. There's been no traffic study 
for more than 25 years, even though the town has experienced a great deal of development. And then the third path is a lawsuit that our group, the Clean Air Action Network of Glens Falls, um, brought against the town planning board for not requiring an environmental impact statement. They declared that there would be no significant impacts from this plant, which is laughable. So we are appealing a, an unfavorable decision. The appeal will be um, submitted in March. Um, I understand the Clean Air Action Network uh, is holding an informational session Tuesday night, I think, to give people some talking points who might want to testify. You know, yes. what, what will be some of the key talking points at your informational session? What were you covered? Well, um, we have an expert from Boston talking about um, why sewage sludge is contaminated. We have an emeritus professor of soil scientist at Cornell talking about heavy metals in sewage sludge and what kinds of impacts they have on crops, livestock, and people. Um, we have a retired chemical engineer who worked for 42 years at DuPont and is now full -time, a full-time volunteer with Michigan Sierra Club. She has been analyzed, analyzing the permit applications. So she will have a great deal to say about the, um, the holes in this permit. Um, and we also have slides from a German um, scientist who, whose specialty is, is or, organic farming, ecological farming, who has, who has sent us um, a PowerPoint on um, problems with biochar. Um, and I think I'm probably forgetting two other people, but um, it should be a really good session. There will be time for questions after each presentation uh, from the audience. The audiences will be in person and those those meetings take place 7 p.m. at the Moreau Community Center, 144 Main Street, South Glens Falls, and at the Strand Theater, um, 20, 210 Main Street in Hudson Falls. They'll be simultaneous because the presentations and the interaction with the presenters will be through Zoom, but they will be projected on screens, and this has worked really well for us at a previous event. So we only uh, have 30 seconds left. We've been talking with Tracy Frisch of the Clean Air Action Network of Glen Falls. If people want more information, uh, how can you get a website? There is stuff on our website, but I will direct you to uh, to two other places. For number one, they can call or email me, Tracy, um, T-R-A-C-Y dot C-A-A-N, that's the initials of our group at gmail.com or 518-692-8242. And that's a landline. Thank you very much. And this has been Mark Dunlay for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Tracy Frisch is a regular on our program. And you can find more stories from Tracy Frisch at our website, mediasanctuary.org. Centered on the theme of voting, the Center for Law and Justice amplifying black votes in their upcoming Black History film series, my co-host Sina Bazil-Hickey gets the scoop. The Center for Law and Justice is co-hosting a Black History film series starting on February 8th, 2024. And to get an idea of the films that will be shown, I'm now joined by Tashawn Murdoch, Director of Operations at the Center for Law and Justice. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So why is the Center of Law and Justice, why did 
you decide to show a film series? Uh, so we actually have had film series in the past. I would say we probably have been on a two-year hiatus, partly you know, because of, of COVID and not being able to come together on an in-person basis. But the film series um, have been happening for uh, a while, uh, specific to highlighting um, a specific theme or topic related to uh, under-marginalized, underserved, and underprivileged communities and uh, celebrating Black history uh, and also talking about the needs of people of color. What has the film industry's role been in educating people and miseducating people on Black history and promoting justice? Uh, the loaded question. Uh, you know, I think, you know, we'll start with the negatives. I, I think sometimes uh, people want to um, or the, the media industry or film industry wants to ignore what the, the truth is. Um, and so what you find a lot of times is that we are either promoting misinformation to avoid the truth or um, we are editing the information so that it does not um, portray what the true story is. On top of that, um, you know, and and to me, film also leads to to writing, and and so what we're seeing too is the elimination or the um, sequestering of books and films that talk about the true history. Um, and so, you know, on the the negative side, you know, I think people thwart it or edit it, you know, the information to prevent uh, the truth from being told. But on the positive, when the truth is able to be told, we, we find our people are have more of an understanding of what the, the true history is. And we also have to face what that reality is, um, which means that we sometimes have to have uncomfortable conversations and that we have to talk about, you know, the trauma that some of the things that have been done to people of color, what that trauma and what those effects are. And so I, I think that uh, it has its negatives and its positives. Um, our goal is is on the positive side is that we want to utilize the films that are being shown. Um, one, to highlight the history, right? Um, but two, to remind people why, and of course this year it's around voting, um, the importance of voting and how that affects um, a variety of different things uh, in our communities. So as you mentioned, the theme is voting. What are the films that were selected for the film series? Uh, yeah, so we, uh, on February 8th, we're going to show, we're going to show excerpts from The Journey to Freedom, which was some sense released on this past Saturday, February 3rd. And so we'll show some excerpts with Dr. Alice Green, who's our executive director, you know, being, being present, um, but also being featured. Um, and a few other folks who had, you know, integral parts in, in you know, the civil rights uh, movement, um, in particular around, around voting. Uh, and then uh, after those excerpts, we'll actually show the full film of A Good Trouble by John Lewis. The second week, which I believe is the 15th, uh, we will show Searching for Timbuktu, directed by Paul Miller. Uh, and that is that movie is really around how people of color were given land to ensure that they had 
uh, the ability to vote, and, and Paul Miller will be joining us. On the 22nd, we will show Selma. And then on the 29th, we will show uh, Becoming, the documentary by Michelle Obama. Um, and so we're really excited about each of these films. Um, each of these films in some way, shape, or form touch on the the importance of, of voting and why um, folks should get out and, and really cast their net through voting. So you mentioned that Journey to Freedom, there will be excerpts shown. Is there an opportunity to see the full film for those who missed the premiere last weekend? Uh, so I believe uh, that it is on Sienna's website. I believe it's sienna.edu slash MLK. Um, I can send you the the, the link um, where all of those films, including Dr. Green, um, is being featured. Um, I believe on the third, they only showed a, a cut of that film as a promotional. Um, but I believe that there are longer interviews that are, are going to be housed in their website. So with Journey to Freedom and the director, Paul Miller, both being locally produced, what, do you, what is coming out of this area that is creating a particular unique voice to this conversation? I, I think each of these videos say that we're not afraid to talk about um, what our history is, but not only that we're not afraid to talk about what our history is, uh, but that uh, we can do it in such awesome and cool ways. Um, and film, of course, is just one of the many ways we can do that. We can do that through music. We can do that through sound. We can do it through a lot of different avenues. But I think it gives people courage to be able to speak their truth, uh, but not only speak their truth, but speak about what they're they're passionate about, especially uh, when, and I'm a youth advocate. So when I when I speak about youth, uh, when you see someone who's local, that is uh, that you can reach out and touch them, or you can meet the director uh, or the persons that were in the film, um, it opens the door to so many other possibilities. I can be the same person, right, uh, who developed and produced this film that highlighted a portion of my history uh, that, or our history, so to speak, um, that can make positive and effective change in our community. The Center for Law and Justice is co-hosting this event. Who else is on board? Who else is a part of this production of this event, the series? So we're partnering with the Albany Housing Authority uh, and the League of Women Voters. Um, so Oregon, Albany Housing Authority uh, has been gracious enough to help support with things like food, uh, space, and and also, you know, pushing the information out, uh, you know, over their, their social media waves. Uh, and then the League of Women Voters will be with us every Thursday, um, and they'll be there to help support in getting people registered to vote if they're interested, answering any questions. Uh, and then they will also uh, lead a discussion on the last Thursday, the 29th, around, again, the importance of voting, you know, why it's important to register, you know, where you can go, you know, all of those things uh, we'll be highlighting through the League of Women Voters. The... Uh, film series is also uh, co-hosted by uh, the Alice Moore Black Arts and Cultural Center. Um, as people know in the community, we are working to uh, support and, and get that uh, center up and running. And so they are co-hosting uh, the film series with us as well. 
So where is the film series taking place and where can listeners find more information around it? Yep. So the the film series this year is taking place at 200 South Pearl Street, which is the Albany Housing Authority headquarters in the atrium and community room. Uh, it will start at 5.30, so p- the doors will open, so to speak, at 5.30. The film will actually start um, at 6 o'clock. And if people are interested in learning more about the film series, there's two places that you can go. Um, you can find the Center for Law and Justice on Facebook. Um, and we've been putting up flyers related to the event um, coming up. And then you can also visit us at cflj.org. Uh, slash events in order to to do that. Um, even though it says RSVP, you don't have to RSVP. It is a, you know, come in, you know, if you want and, and hang out with us for sure. Oh, this is such a wonderful series. And to Sean Murdoch, I really appreciate you joining me in this conversation. What would you like to leave our listeners with? We want people to, you know, keep an eye out on the Center for Law and Justice. We are uh, really working to get ourselves back into, I mean, and really not even back into, but we're working to provide more education uh, to the community on various topics like voting and other focus areas that we'll be coming out with soon. Uh, but not only that, uh, we are working to make sure people provide their feedback and input on the new Alice Moore Black Arts and Cultural Center uh, and what they want to see come from, you know, a center that is, you know, housed around the arts and culture uh, and what that really looks like for for our city uh, in the in the coming months. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. And that website again is cflj.org forward slash events. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazilahickey. And I'm Kayla McPherson. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network, playing on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org slash HMM. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media, located in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by sharing us with family and friends. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. Barrio Alegria is a community engagement organization that utilizes the arts to create transform transformations in individuals to help them transform their communities. And in this one, we hear about creative placemaking. Hi, what's up, everyone? This is Kati from Barrio Alegria, a community arts organization from Reading, Pennsylvania. I am here with Ashley, who is going to talk with me a bit about creative placemaking, what that means, and how we plan great events. Uh, Let me introduce you to Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Kati. How are you? I'm good. Um, I wanted to ask you, in your own words, what is creative placemaking to you? Creative placemaking to me is using a space and developing and fostering creativity there. It could be through visual arts, through music, other forms of creativity. And 
from that space, you inspire others to be creative and just create an environment that is now associated with positive change and creativity. Thank you. And now with creative placemaking, the question, a big question is how do you create a creative placemaking event? And how does that differ from regular event planning? Well, when it comes to event planning, I have been involved in some events that I helped lead. For example, watercolor workshops, painting workshops, drawing workshops. And my goal always to create a successful event is to make sure that creativity feels accessible, that the process of following through with creating something is as easy to follow as possible. And in order for it to be transformative, I believe it's important to inspire people to realize that they are capable of more than they believe they are, especially when it comes to creating something original. All right, thank you. What does transformative mean to you? We know that part of creative placemaking is how to create transformative events. So what does it mean to be transformative? Transformative to me can mean a lot of things, but my main focus has always been helping people realize how much they are capable of and also just giving themselves permission to be creative and learn more about who they are in that context. So learning how capable they are in improving when it comes to poetry, when it comes to making a painting. And so as you over time see how community members get more and more involved, they become um, more involved with the creative activities and how that changes them. In many cases, that transformation translates to being more confident in themselves and realizing just how much they are capable of. Uh, Now, part of creative placemaking is making sure that members of the community feel heard. How do you make sure that you know what those voices are? How do you keep in touch with the community to create these uh, creative placemaking? With the community, we always try to maintain a very welcoming atmosphere and we just try to be as open as possible. If people have questions, comments, concerns, we make sure that they are welcome to speak their voice. We make sure that we are attentive to their words and to overall what their message is trying to say. Because we really want to make sure that everyone is heard, even if maybe we don't agree with them. We want to make sure that first and foremost, Our spaces are welcoming. They respect people, especially the local community. And essentially, that's just how we try to make sure that people have a voice in how we operate. We make sure they are heard. And we are always having the mindset of learning how can we improve and how can we just be better in general, not just in the events we create, but also how we can do more for people to feel better after they leave. 
Part of creative placemaking is strengthening communities with art. Can you tell us what are three to five uh, barrio events that you remember or maybe helped plan or um, that you that stand out to you as a creative placemaking event? Something that we do relatively often is events in the Iron Playground in our city, the city of Reading, Pennsylvania. And these activities can range from watercolor painting workshops, drawing workshops. It could be live music. It could be playing in the park, basketball with the local community. This is a very big part of what we do to engage with people that are around us. And another type of event that we do is storytelling through dance. So in the steps of the main library of our city, we do plays and we created a creative place and a place that has never previously been associated with creativity because most people don't think of the steps of a library as being the scene of a dance performance as an example or a scene of a play but that is what we saw and that's how we have come to use it for quite a few years now and through storytelling through dance we have done various plays we have done rosa dances with wolves so that was one of the events um, there was but we're still here these are both names of two plays and other than that and the workshops we do in the iron playground park we sometimes have events in the wcr center for the arts in the city of reading where we do similar things we do um, not just workshops but we also do karaoke where the whole community is welcome and it's just a positive welcome space for anyone regardless of whether or not you are quote unquote a good singer. So these are just some of the examples of the events that we have for fostering creativity. Great, thank you. Now question, those are events that were already done. What's an event that you think should be done for, or something that you maybe would have loved or would love to do that falls into the definition of creative placemaking? An idea I have for creating an event is more so like a program. And what I have in mind is for people to have a window garden for either their apartment or for their home. And essentially with this garden, they learn more about growing flowers or growing whatever type of plants they want to grow outside of the window of their home. And the creativity in this is essentially just designing what would be a positive addition to the exterior of where you live. And how I see this coming about is um, we were to have a program for people to have those planter boxes that go outside the window. And we have 
workshops and classes where people can get seeds, people can think about what they want it to look like, if there's going to be a purpose for it, such as growing a garden, or would it be purely aesthetic, so just flowers. And through this workshop, people learn more about how to grow these plants, and in the end, they have something they can take to their home that they can be proud of that helps their neighborhood look like a more positive and uplifting and creative place. One final question is, how does creative placemaking uh, fit uh, Barrio Alegria's mission? Like, Would you say that this is a core part of the company, or would you say that that this is something that is a new term, or would you say that it's been there? Creative placemaking is definitely the core of what we do because we prioritize the transformation within people, how they see their community and how they see themselves. And this transformative process, I have gone through it personally since the beginning of being with Barrio to now. I am not the same person as I am now since when I arrived there. And it's because I was given the permission to explore what it means to be creative, to learn how to dance, to learn how to act. And so creative placemaking is definitely the core of Barrio Alegria and to inspire others to create creative places. Barrio Alegria came to the Sanctuary for Independent Media back in May of 2023. And thank you to Stephanie Nikta, Nitka for editing that segment for us. And now it's time for our weekly comedy interview. We welcome jazz sanctuarian and stand-up comedian, Brad Monkel. How are you, Brad? Hey, Caitlin. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, as usual. Hi, Sina. Thank you guys so much. Hello, hello. Welcome. Well, yes, welcome. Uh, so who'd you bring in this week? This week, I am joined by the very funny Sean Barnes. Hello. Local multi-talented comedian, uh, oh, movie so producer, <laughs> podcaster. He's a co-host of the, the podcast Super Salad. Um, he recently mm-hmm. released the award-winning movie uh, Break Glass, which won awards at the, what was the Catskill? Uh, Catskill International Film Festival, um, uh, Buffalo um, Buffalo Dreams Film Festival, as well as the uh, um, New York Cinefest. Uh, we won some awards down there as well. Um, and and you... multiple others, but those are some of the highlights. Yep, and the movie is Break Glass. <laughs> His last movie before that was Middletown. Um, and he's been hitting the dates around in the stand-up scene. He's got uh, Friday, February 23rd at Rug City Bar and Lounge in Amsterdam and Saturday uh, February 24th at The Trap in Fort Ann, New York. So I'm just glad to see you're staying so busy, Sean. And it's uh, it's always nice to see that people creating things for themselves, especially movies. Like that's I'm totally yeah. outside that world. I don't even understand how hard that must be just, just to get moving. I know it's a big team effort. Right. It's definitely a team effort. Um, it's something that um, I've had a passion for for a long time and um, um, became acquainted with my uh, uh, partner in crime, I guess, uh, Jay Leonard. He's uh, my writer, director that I've worked with a lot. And um, like I said, I'm the producer. And I've done a little acting, you know, not to sell myself a little too <laughs> short. But uh, I, uh, um, 
I brought uh, he brought me in to do a couple of projects um, about ten years ago now, and and those were um, we really like cut our teeth on those projects. Um, you know, we learned a lot through those, and then when we made the movie Middletown, um, we felt like well, we really have something here. Um, and when we finished uh, Middletown, we submit started submitting it to festivals and things like that, and we had some success. And we were like, wow, like, let's actually, like, we actually can do this. You know, it, it was really encouraging. It was very validating, especially when we started, like, getting recognized through those, um, through those uh, festivals. And um, our big thing is um, don't let anything stop you from doing it. I feel the same way when it comes to any of the arts. I mean, like, like I said, like you said, I, you know, podcasting, it's not like we have some elaborate studio or anything like we're a couple, we have, a, you know, we want it to sound good. So we have, you know, some decent quality equipment, but, uh, um, or, uh, um, through mo making movies or doing stand up. you know, our, our thing is like, don't let anything stop you from doing what you want to do because, uh, a lot of people, they think they can't, they think they're, they're their own gatekeepers a lot of the time. And a lot of people, um, will just say, Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. So they, they won't even try, uh, try make mistakes, you know, and, and learn. And that's how you get better. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing in stand up where all the pressure is on you at least. So, you, right. so it's like, you don't have to corral people and, yeah. and, and, put all this management into things you don't even necessarily know about. Whereas a movie, you have to outsource, you have to pull all these parts together. Yes. Like for you personally, when you're looking at the to-do list for a movie, is there any like thing that has <laughs> to get done where you're just like, I could never <laughs> be the one to handle this on my own? Oh, yeah. absolutely. So for, in, so for, for example, um, when Jay gave me the last script, uh, it's a road trip movie. Break Glass is a, very much a road trip movie. Uh, it's two brothers traveling across New York State and... Um, I was like, dude, like a quarter of this movie takes place in a moving car. We have no money. <laughs> How do you want to do this? And he's like, you'll figure it out. I mean, we did figure it out. But looking at that, you know, early on when we first start setting up like shoot days, how is this going to work? That was a stressful thing. But like you said, it's very much a team effort. So it's a it's a it's not so much, especially in producing, it's not so much about solving all the problems. It's about knowing who to go to to help you solve those problems. So I was able to find the right people. And I was like, hey, man, typically in Hollywood, <laughs> they would spend tens of thousands of dollars on a trailer and put a car on it and go down the road and uh, they would close off city streets and do all this stuff. Um, but surprise, uh, in upstate New York, there's actually a lot of stuff you can do with just asking. Um, make a phone call. You know, we actually just called up the sheriff's office where we were shooting and they were like, oh, we'll keep an eye out for you. You'll be fine. Go ahead. Right. So we literally had a car on a, on a, I found somebody with a car trailer and we attached cameras to the car and had people in it and they were just like, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. Don't go too fast. And we were like, great. <laughs> well, it sounds like you weren't as disruptive as, like, uh, one of the, uh, the can I say, Jack ASS? <laughs> you, you, know, you know, like a, like a movie like that where... Right. We're thinking, like, Salt. That was shut down whole 787. I don't know if you what? remember that. No. Oh, yeah, the movie Salt was mm -hmm. shot right down here in Albany, and they, they shut down parts of the highway yeah. <laughs> and, you know, disrupted... <laughs> everything and uh albany's not a town that's typically used to that though they are building a reputation for being a movie city for sure um 
it can be very disruptive to a community who's not prepared for that. I don't even mean like renting out the space or getting permission from the city. I mean like prankster type of films. Like Mm. like they run the issues where they get like chased out of places. Did you have any scenes that were like, this might get hairy. <laughs> <laughs> we um, we do definitely uh, take pride in some of the shots that we've stolen, as we like to put it. Um, we did get asked very nicely by a security card to leave Lincoln Center once um, <laughs> because uh, the security guard was like, that camera is not a little nicer than an iPhone. Uh, what are you doing? And we were like, oh, we're just taking it. No, you're not. Get out of here. Um, yeah. So that was, uh, we had some scenes to shoot down in the city. So like we went down to New York and uh, yeah, so that was definitely one situation where it was a little like iffy um, and, and it was a little stressful putting camera mounts on the cars too. Like, oh, yeah. like it's these big heavy duty suction cups and you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. I would want These bolts. are made to work. I would work. want bolts for my <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we were using our personal cars because yeah. we were like, well, we don't have the money to do anywhere else to do it. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but independent filmmaking, as far as like on our level, is very much like do it. Don't be afraid to make the mistakes. Get out there and make it. Yeah. And then I, I guess like doing stand-up comedy, which is the scene I know you from, that yep. is very much a scene. It's it's, it's people, a lot of the same Absolutely. people getting together at the same clubs and, and seeing each other weekly, doing the same thing. Is, can, is there a scene around movie making? Because so much of it is so like... There definitely separate. is. Even in upstate New York, believe it or not, I could tell you kind of who all the other filmmakers in the area are. And we all kind of know each other. Um, it's a little different because you don't see each other on a de- daily or weekly basis like we do for, for stand-up. Because I see the same... I see you guys on a weekly basis. You know what I mean? Doing stand-up. When it comes to movies, we might see each other at like a networking event. That every once in a while, yeah. but uh, it's there. It's definitely, I will say, um, one thing that uh, stand up does have in common with with independent filmmaking is it can be very collaborative when you allow it to be. Um, like if you take the time to talk to other comics and other like other comedians and take the time to actually talk to them, like you can actually work out each other's material and help each other in that way. And it's a you know. A, Rising tide lifts all boats, you know. So I think uh, with any of the arts, I think everybody needs to be more uh, supportive and helpful of each other as opposed to uh, combative. Yeah. Well, like I said, it, it's very it's very solo sort of thing, comedy. But you're absolutely right. There's no reason you can't write together and work together. But uh, you know, for those who are interested in checking it out, once again, you can, uh, the movies are Break Glass and Middletown. Where can they watch those? Middletown is available on Amazon Prime, Tubi, and YouTube. Uh, Break Glass, we're still trying to get distribution with that, so it's not available just yet. All right, and uh, Sean's podcast is called Super Salad, and you can catch him uh, February 23rd at the Rug City Barn Lounge in Amsterdam and February 24th at The Trap in Fort Ann, New York. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sean. Great to talk to you. Thank you. I've had fun. Thank you. And we end today's show with poetry featured by Tom Francis. The 2023 edition of Poetic License Albany moved from the fish market in Troy to the Honest Weight Food Co-op in December. On December 5th, Dan Wilcox hosted a poetry reading to celebrate the collaboration of art and poetry with some of the writers whose work was selected for the exhibit. Local poets Tom Bonville, Elaine Kenyon, and Brian Liston were among those who stepped up to the mic that night. So our first one up is one of the Toms, Tom Bonville. Just 
So I will read three poems in three minutes, I promise. <laughs> going, going, gone. I think, true or maybe true, that this country will not survive the shenanigans that the United States of America, such as it is, will be gone one day, sooner than we think. Like a shooting star disappearing into the black hole of endless night, Millions of faceless people looking into the sky to see where the star is going. All that will be left will be empty, tall buildings and quiet, four-lane highways, snaking around deserted cities, concrete pavements, leading to longer roads to faraway places that you've never been to, never will go to. Places not where they once were, Places belonging to strangers in a strange land looking at faces that look just like everyone else. They get shorter. <laughs> Faith. And what does God command us to do? To be fair, to show compassion, to love one another? and to keep faith with everything impossible, even the silence. And the last poem, I want to be. I want another life, the one kept for me, because I can only be one person at a time. I want to be two people, maybe even more, three people, four people, five people and not be considered crazy. God, think of the possibilities. <laughs> Thank you. Our next poet up, she came a little bit of a distance to come down here, Elaine Kenyon. All right. Um, so I have the peripatetic out there, so that one's mine, so um, I brought that one. <laughs> And then a couple others. Okay. Um, so the peripatetic. Uh, wandering with faint purpose in every move, she imagines Aristotle's wink from up above. With dried up paint slashed unworn jeans, wearing her want of the world to see her. A starving artist with no need. You guys, she boasts quietly in a late night conversation to me. The world in general terms, its X and Zs. Mixed orange soda floats and two black cats with purple sparkles on belled collars. Caged in this one-room apartment, one fan sweats on three bare walls. I burnt my bridges, she casually states. My mind begins to graze. Where can I not return? Who's turned their back to me? What is beyond this country so rich there's currency on the ground? I glance back with that socially taught eye contact and take another sip of orange number five and vanilla bean. <laughs> um, so since that was about a person, I spread another one. Um, so instead of the peripatetic, this is called the um, misophoniac. Um, yeah. <laughs> so misophonia is uh, kind of a not very well understood um, disorder, basically you get uh, like a flight or fight response to um, certain sounds, like triggers, they call them. Um, and so this is um, about that. 
All right, she said her mind attracted the lone cricket rubbing outside her slightly cracked bedroom window, the black crow cawing from a pine tree branch over her backyard cosmos, the summer fan clicking underneath a whir only detected by her. Like a network of mycelia webbed from her mind to the sound, this pulsing and electromagnetic search and capture escalates. The tendrils lick and embrace with exponential arms and seek out that sound again, inviting even a deadened sound. Just the shapes shifting and repetitive movements will feed the brain's hunt. A bathing cat, a repeating riff, a dripping sink. Each lick, finger pick, and wet ceramic kiss confirms the rage, and the visuals swarm in as the body tries to escape, lacerating, severing, shattering. The misophoniac holds her breath while her hands press each tragus, until the cartilage can bend no farther, waiting for the images to pass, begging the sounds to fall into a black hole. What's that <laughs> And this last one, so I was thinking it's kind of fitting because we're talking about like art-inspiring poetry. So I found this kind of bizarre painting, and I honestly don't know where it's from, but it's like a woman with like blood coming out of her arms into these little saucer dishes. Anyway, so I thought it was kind of fascinating, so I wrote a poem about it um, called Motherhood Bloodletting. <laughs> Thousands of my unborn children won't complain they had no choice. We carried a uterine sack filled with horrid memories, not considering the vaginal push of sacrifice. The right nows are drenched in the how should you remember my countless deep breaths. We'll continue the cycle of blaming empty self-esteem on a mother who knew not. A vision of caress faded, a smile hijacked. I'll remember a raw wound I shared in a letter. You'll remember a betrayal. I only wanted your love. You only wanted my love. We both died without it. Okay. Well, Brian, Brian, who I know from years back in the poetry scene from Socrates and Woodstock and all that uh, submitted both years and he's been here both years to enthusiastically read for us. So Brian, you're next. Struggle. Struggle. Internal, external. Conflicts, prods, needles into daily life one at a time. Struggle. This one is actually uh, for um, just to kind of give a little bit of a little little bit of a backstory. Kind of uh, as as noted by Dan, I'm from Saugerties myself. I actually have a book. Um, I actually have a book out, but I also wanted to uh, write something for the wonderful poets that I've gotten to know over the years. Like as uh, again, Dan said, I've been in the poetry. Um, I've been doing poetry readings for um, 20 plus years or so, and I just feel like oh, I want to be able to give back. So this is the role we play for Phil Levine for, um, for Chronogram. The role we play. It's so tough to wear my hats. Switching one to another makes one wonder how one feels standing on the shoulders of John, standing on the shoulders of Mick, Phil, Larry, Dan, Robert. Balancing legacies from different roles, one so challenging to play, stages, motivation, all as one does his best 
to live up to who came before. Nevertheless, Lone Spark comes together with need, becoming a flame to show, share my passion, whom I am. Creation, creator, roles, mer roles merging to form an artist, to form a poet. This is actually, uh, this next one, and I know I'm going to, internalization. Internalization. Hurricane. Storm. Absorbs. Festers. Lingers. Everything said, good or bad. Careful. Thank you. Thank you. Poetic License Albany is a joint project of the Hudson Valley Writers Guild and Upstate Artists Guild that brings together regional poets and visual artists. For 2023, the exhibit was on display at the Fish Market in Troy and the Honest Wade Food Co-op in Albany. A call for submissions for the 2024 edition will be announced soon. For Hudson Mohawk Magazine, I'm Tom Francis. To listen to Talking with Poets episodes, go to our website, mediasanctuary.com uh, to hear archive episodes or listen Tuesday nights or Wednesday morning for new episodes of Talking with Poets. That is mediasanctuary.org. Oh. And that is our show. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Ooh. Magazine. I'm Sina Bazilahickey. And I'm Kaylin McPherson, our engineer, and also my co-host for tonight, is Sina Bazilla Hickey. We want to thank all of our volunteers who made today's episode possible. Mark Dunley, Br Brad Monkell, Tom Francis, uh, Stephanie, Nikita, for all their hard work to produce this show. That's a Mohawk Magazine is a team effort. This program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and it's supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. We want to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Hudson Mohawk Mag or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listeners. You make this work worthwhile.